the Formula Spy Podcast. This is the Formula Spy Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Parker, and joining me is Thomas Maher. Hello, Frank. And Luke Murphy. Good evening, Frank. It's been a while. How have you both been? Yeah, uh, very good. It's been very, very busy on the uh, Formula One front over the last couple of weeks, and um, been to a couple of races. Uh, haven't done any of the flyaways, unfortunately, but yeah, it's been busy over the last couple of weeks, Frank. Luke? Yeah, very good, thank you. I've been away for a little bit, been out to Australia for my sister's wedding, and that was unfortunately on the very same weekend of the Singapore Grand Prix, so <laughs> timing was perfect for that, not. But apart <laughs> from that, yeah, it was, a, it was a very lovely day and it was a great holiday, so I'm very refreshed. Excellent, right, so I'm ticking off the... Uh, have banter bullet point that I've got on, <laughs> what? On <Good. laughs> okay um, so we're back after a, a brief break to talk about uh, the Japanese Grand Prix uh, it was a race that saw Mercedes clinch the constructors title and to uh, a massive congratulations from all of us on an absolutely amazing feat to make history with six successive titles um Bottas uh, led home from Vettel and Hamilton uh, came in third place. So, Thomas, um, really good drive from Bottas. He just got his head down and got on with it, didn't he? Yeah, it was a great drive from Bottas. Um, although uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter will have seen that I, I did raise my doubts about you know Mercedes' interference in the race. Now, this isn't to discredit Bottas in any shape or form. Valtteri drove really, really well last weekend. Uh, he was ahead of Lewis Hamilton pretty much all weekend throughout the free practice, the, the two practice sessions we had. He was ahead in qualifying. Uh, he had a great start, absolutely fantastic start at the um, as the lights went out. But I think Hamilton, on that extended first stint compared to Bottas, and being transferred onto the one-stop strategy um, and running the mediums. I think if he had stuck with that one-stop strategy, I, th- I think he might have been able to win the race. His pace was starting to drop off towards the end of the race with 10 laps to go. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just get the impression I think Valtteri could have been beaten. But I think that is uh, due to Mercedes kind of looking into a one-stop strategy in that situation um, because, like they say, their plan all along was that it was going to be a two-stop strategy. I'm not sure I believe them. I think, you know, Andrew Shovlin has has had his um, debrief on YouTube since where he explained that the plan was always to do a two-stopper, but I'm just not really convinced by that. Um, but I, again, I don't want to discredit Valtteri. He had an absolutely brilliant drive o- over the weekend and uh, he didn't do anything wrong. And I think if he had been beaten, it would have been purely down to strategic circumstances and nothing to do with his uh, his actual driving. Okay, Luca, uh, w- what do you think? I think I agree with that assessment, to be honest with you. I think Mercedes did have an option of a one-stop strategy that they did not go for. I I do suspect that they maybe had it in their mind to go longer for Hamilton and then have fresher tyres than Vettel back to the tune of about 10 laps to then try and close the gap to Vettel. So I think the option of a one-stop strategy maybe sort of accidentally became available to them that they didn't then go down that route. But otherwise, yeah, I, I agree with the, the assessment. You know, it was a, a great uh, a great win for Bottas and probably one that he, he needed. Um, and... Yeah, he, he really needs to um, kick on a bit this season. You know, the championship's pretty much away from him now. So he, he just needs to keep racking up the wins and 
prove that he can maintain a more consistent challenge to Hamilton, which I feel like we've been saying for a while, but it's something he needs to do. It's amazing how in a year where Mercedes are after winning, uh, you know, a record sixth Constructors Championship, that Bottas hasn't won a race in six months. Mm. Yeah, yeah, considering it was supposed to have been Valtteri Bottas 2.0 at the start of the season, which I was I was on board that hype train, definitely, but it just seems to have fallen away a little bit. And it's a shame for the championship, but it's how it's gone. He clearly swapped to Muesli after Australia. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sick of the porridge stuff going around. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Now. It's, awful, it's, isn't it? <laughs> it's run its course. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna talk about this a bit later on, but I think you brought it up, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, talk about it now. Do we think, um, Luke? I'll I'll start with you. Do we think Lewis's strategy in the position that he was in was the optimal one at the time? Because he did sort of make a complaint over the radio to his team. What, what do we think about that? Yeah, well, I think Lewis is always very quick to question the strategy, and I think. And I, I don't want to be overly cynical of that because they, they, they all do it to one degree or another. But I do think it, it gives him some kind of um, ground to say we could have done better and this was the reason why we didn't win the race because of the strategy. You know, as opposed to saying I just wasn't quite on Valtteri's pace this weekend. But I think... Um, I, I think Hamilton's strategy was more to do with Mercedes just wanting to try something else, even if it was just a variant on a two-stop strategy. Because if you if you do exactly the same as everybody else, then it's even more unlikely that you're going to overtake them. So I think Mercedes were trying to mix it up a little bit, but but yeah, it just created this knife edge of a, is it a one-stop or a two-stop? And I think ultimately we're actually just not going to know. And we just going to have to just sort of take Mercedes' word for it, even if we don't believe it. Okay. Thomas, anything to add to that? Well, yeah, it's... But Hamilton ran the softs for the first stint when the car was heavy on his used softs. And he ran 21 laps before he pitted. And then he took on the mediums with 31 laps to go. You would imagine that he would be able to get through the rest of the race on mediums and do a 31-lap stint. But instead, they pitted him after 21 laps, the exact same distance that he ran on the softs. So, you know, it, 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 does that mean Mercedes aren't able to get the mediums to last any longer than the softs? I, I don't really believe that. Because when you look at the likes of the Toro Rosso, uh, Pierre Gasly, he ran 34 laps on the mediums. And so did Lance Stroll. Like they, they ran 34 laps each on the soft tires, uh, or uh, sorry, on the medium tires and got to the end of the race. So other cars with less downforce and less grip than the Mercedes were able to go, go 34 laps without completely dropping off the pace. So for Mercedes to turn around and only be able to do 21 laps on the same tires as the car was getting lighter, I think they were trying to ensure that there wasn't political fallout on the day. Uh, by having Hamilton racing Bottas. And they, they just wanted to, cl- to clinch the uh, Constructors' Championship calmly and, you know, repay Bottas for his, um, you know, his cooperation throughout the year. Yeah, I think if you could achieve the same or as near as damn it, the same success without um, putting unnecessary risk on the driver pairing, then I think most teams would do it. And yeah, I agree. I think Mercedes I think, think did. Think of the PR. Yeah. What if they came it's, together? 
if, if Hamilton had raced Bottas and Bottas had felt screwed by the strategy if Hamilton had managed to win it or something like that, that would have dominated headlines as opposed to Mercedes clinch sixth constructors championship. Mm-hmm. It was easier and far better for Mercedes image uh, to be, you know, winners and clean winners with Hamilton in third than it would have been to have a very contentious one too. And Lewis is in a much stronger position in the championship as well, so he can afford the third place over the first. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's move on to uh, the start because there was a bit of argy bargy going on there. Uh, a tangle between Leclerc and Verstappen. Uh, Leclerc got the blame for that, and he got a penalty. Uh, Luke, we'll start with you on this one. Was that fair, do you think? Because it eventually took Max out of the race because he had to retire at the end. Uh, well, in the end, no, not at the end. <laughs> yeah, I get Over you. to you, Luke. <laughs> yeah, so so at the start of the race, um, as we all saw, the Ferrari's got a bad start. Um, Bottas, pretty much by turn one, was long gone. Uh, then he was followed by Vettel, and then it was Verstappen and Leclerc side by side. Uh, Verstappen going around the outside. Uh, was trying to overtake around the outside of, of Charles Leclerc and almost almost pulled it off. In fact, I think he would have pulled it off um, because that would have become the inside line for turn three as he's starting to get into the proper S's section. So I think Verstappen had every right to be agreed because I think he was pretty much sort of past Leclerc. Um, and yeah, it, it almost seemed like Leclerc just understeered into the into the back corner of Verstappen. Uh, the two came together and then Verstappen, because he was on the outside, he ended up on the grass and half spinning and ending up down the field. Now, I don't think anybody is really contesting the fact that Leclerc was to blame for that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear other opinions on it, but everyone seemed to be in agreement that Verstappen was really, really hard done by. So I think I think then you get into the questions of the level of penalty. And for that incident itself, it was a five-second penalty for Leclerc and the additional 10 seconds uh, added to his time at the end was for the for failing to pit for the wing damage that he had. And uh, you'd have seen on the telly, the wing was on the ground, it was sparking all over, bits were flying off um, and things like that. So, um, so for the incident itself, I th- yeah, I think I'm right in saying that he only got five seconds, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. five seconds for that, yeah. Yeah, sure. So um, so I think I think for such a, a big race-deciding incident to only get five seconds, uh, you know, I know there's a big hoo-ha about, you know, let them race and, and all that, but I think if that was a, 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 a bigger scenario, like, um, you know, for a, a championship scenario and there was a coming together like that, I, I think more action would probably be warranted and... And I don't know if decisions like that are going to come back to, you know, bite Formula One in the backside. Because if you say, oh, well, that was only a five-second time penalty, you know, why why, why don't I just get a five-second time penalty for punting off my championship rival, you know, at the start of the race? And, yeah, and I think Formula One needs to be careful because they, they have done their best to appease the teams and fans, you know, again, let them race, but... I, I don't know. I, I think that was worth more than just the five seconds, personally. What do you think, Thomas? 
Well, I'm just reading the judgment here from the FIA and it said that while car 16 is judged predominantly at fault, uh, car 16 being Leclerc, while Leclerc is judged predominantly at fault for the incident, this is a somewhat unusual first lap incident as only these cars were directly involved. So few of the normal mitigating circumstances exist. Okay. To me, that's that's a cop-out. It's It, it, it wasn't uh, a harsh enough penalty for what the damage that was caused, um, ruining Max Verstappen's race. Uh, the incident that kind of came to mind for me, <clears throat> and we're going back a few years for this one, is, do you remember in 2003, oh, wow. Juan, Monto- Juan Montoya <laughs> and Rubens Barrichello uh, had it coming together at Indianapolis while Montoya was battling for the championship and he was he was overtaking Rubens Barrichello in the Ferrari. Yes. And he, you know, he made a pretty legitimate dive up the inside and kind of hit Barrichello and kind of hit him in the same kind of way that, that Leclerc hit Verstappen and kind of spun Barrichello around in front of him. And he was given a 10-second stop-and-go penalty for that. Right. So, like, that... I know we're going back quite a few years and that was under, you know, Charlie Whiting's era and everything like that. But that was more in line with the kind of, I, and to be honest, Juan Montoya wasn't even really kind of fully to blame for that incident. Uh, I remember there was outrage at the time, but that was the level of penalty that was given for incidents like that. Well, now it is, you know, it, they, they had to be kind of preempted into investigating the incident in the first place after initially saying it wasn't worthy of an investigation. And then when they do, they only give a five-second time penalty. That's it. No more. Max Verstappen's race was ruined. So if I understand that ruling correctly, because it didn't involve more cars, the, the, the penalty was was less severe. Yeah, and to me, that that yeah, that just seems like a cop-out. They, they know, I think, that the penalty should be bigger and they have to find a reason to explain why it isn't. Surely if okay. there's fewer cars involved, then that makes it even more black and white because, you know, Leclerc's not having to concentrate on anything else. And I know they normally, um, you know, go a bit easy on the penalties for the start or, you know, try and, um, you know, try and, you know, ignore the kind of start argy-bargy. But... Yeah, I think it was an independent enough incident from the start to to warrant more action. So, yeah, surprising for me. Yeah, and the thing is, I know they say that no cars were directly involved. That's because no one else was hit. But if you look back at the replay, Lando Norris was completely screwed by, by the incident because he had to slam on the brakes and lost positions as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another car was directly uh, affected by it, if not involved. So, you know, two drivers lost positions and everything like that as a result of the incident. Leclerc eventually pit, but that was after his, his wings shed shards of carbon fibre all over the place. But after that, Leclerc did uh, really put in a good recovery drive um, and he was sort of the star overtaker after that, but he pulled off some stunning moves. I remember the one around... Um, one, oh, I never get this corner right. That really fast left-hander, 130R. Is that right? Yeah, he yeah. took Raikkonen into 130R. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. That's uh, Raikkonen's getting a taste of his own medicine there. Um, <laughs> but Leclerc was still making, obviously, one or two mistakes, Thomas, but good recovery drive. Do we think he's finally ironing out these sort of little mishaps? I, I don't think... Like, lap one was a mess 
for Leclerc. You could see that what he was trying to do through turn two, trying to hold on to the the line when he, you know, understeered into the side of Verstappen. You can see what he was trying to do, and I think. Like we've seen Sebastian Vettel make mistakes, you know. It's I don't think it's down to experience as such. I think it's just one of those things that happens. Mm. Um, Charles has made mistakes this year. It's to be expected. His much more experienced and successful teammate has made mistakes, which is probably less expected. But you know, Leclerc put his head down and kind of resisted pressure from Ferrari to to pit immediately, while he kind of you know tried to figure out how damaged the car was. Probably should have come in a little bit faster than he did. But, you know, who can blame him for trying, really? Um, I think any driver would have tried the same if he thought the car was handling okay. But uh, from there, you know, he drove well uh, when he came up behind. I think the only person who was able to resist him was Carlos Sainz. Once Leclerc got latched onto the back of of Sainz, he wasn't able to go any further. And... um, that's when he pitted again then on, on lap 25 to go back to the softs. So, you know, I, th- I think Leclerc had a great drive and, you know, I, I can't really complain about anything he did after lap one. Mm. Luke, do you concur? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think he, he probably did about as good as he probably could have expected to do after, after the first lap. Um, probably had hopes on there being a, a, a safety car midway through the race, but um, that didn't come about, so... Yeah, just uh, just did the best that he could with the situation he was in. Okay, and I want to I want to briefly mention Vettel as well because I think he had a really good race. Um, he soaked up a lot of pressure from Hamilton because Hamilton really was attacking him in the midpoint of the, the the race, but he managed to hold him off to finish second. So, um, Thomas, t- talk talk me through Vettel's race. Pretty quiet one, I think. I thought, with the exception of the the dodgy start. Vettel was pretty much perfect again this weekend. He was, um, you know, that that qualifying lap on Sunday morning was an object of beauty. It was a brilliant lap of Suzuka. And, you know, he he took pole convincingly. Um, He drove well throughout the race. The only mistake was obviously the start. And, you know, that's probably not an error I think vintage Vettel would have made. Um, I think that was pointed out in the TV commentary as well, that that's not a mistake that you would have seen a Red Bull Vettel doing. But he did make the mistake. Obviously, getting off the line at Suzuka is a little bit more difficult because, you know, the, the downhill slope into turn one. But um, the funnily enough, Andrew Shovlin, again, to refer back to the uh, Mercedes debrief, they actually think Vettel's start uh, actually helped Bottas because Bottas reacted to Vettel um, jumping the start and that helped Bottas to time his start so well. So, um, yeah, I think between Vettel making this small mistake, uh, that, that, that handed Bottas a better start. Okay. Luke, what, what's your take on Vettel's race? <clears throat> I thought it was a very good race. Um, I think under normal circumstances, he probably would have been beaten by at least a Mercedes anyway, had he have kept, uh, kept the lead on that one. I think for Ferrari to have had any chance of winning, they they probably needed to have to uh, end the first lap in first and second, um, because if you've got like one Ferrari and two Mercedes um, straight behind, then they can just switch their tactics about and you know try and undercut, overcut, and just give themselves loads of options. So I think to, to have actually fallen down to second place and still keep second place ahead of Lewis Hamilton, I think is is a pretty good result for Vettel. And you know, let's not forget he. 
Um, he held off Hamilton for about uh, three or four laps at the end um, under quite a bit of pressure. And it's something that Vettel hasn't done too well at in recent times. So to, to have been able to do that now maybe sort of gets a bit of a monkey off his back in terms of wheel-to-wheel racing or, you know, racing under heightened pressure. So I think I think it was a, a very a very good race for Vettel and hopefully his strong stronger second half of the season can continue into next season and hopefully we've got Ferrari battling with Mercedes and then hopefully there's at least like a two three car battle for the championship and everyone will be extremely happy. I went off on a bit of a tangent with that one, but yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Hopefully it builds up something good. Okay, cool. Right. Um, I want to move down to the midfield. Uh, I've got a couple of points from the midfield. I don't know if you guys, let me know if you want to raise anything yourselves. But um, I want to talk about the Gasly and uh, Perez incident because it was almost a carbon copy of the one at the start. Um, but uh, the Gasly put Perez into the, the wall. Do you think it was, Thomas, do you think it was an avoidable incident? Well, pretty much all incidents are avoidable in some description. But um, to be honest, I thought it was just really a racing incident. I didn't see too much wrong with either of what they did. Perez probably a little bit optimistic trying to hang it around the outside. But then again, he was pretty he was pretty alongside Perez, or sorry, alongside Gasly. So, you know, I think that they both, you know, tried their best. They rolled the dice. It didn't quite pay off for Perez. Um but they both got away with it with the timing error and the the resulting last lap basically not existing. So that that was a weird coincidence, really, that that happened. And you know, the last lap crash never happened according to the results. So um, they, they both got their points anyway. I think we would have heard a lot more about it, uh, especially from Racing Point and Perez, if um, if it if they had lost the points. So, but everyone got away with it. Yeah, I think um, I think Perez had been doing quite a few really good overtakes in that race. I feel like uh, I feel like half of half of what I've seen on Twitter just seems to be Perez overtaking like around the outside of one of the S's or you know or whatever. He seems to have a really good aggressive race. So maybe he kind of got finally a bit too over ambitious at the at the final corner. But you know, I, I I don't blame him for going for it. I think most drivers would have done had they've had the speed advantage over there. Uh, their opponents. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to call that a racing incident myself. Okay, cool. And um, another really strong race for Sainz, who's, again, best of the rest. Uh, McLaren couldn't quite capitalise on a, a strong points finish because uh, Norris was compromised with, a, I believe it was, was it a bit of debris in his brake duct that caught fire? Yeah. Pit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Luke, do, do we think Signs is if if McLaren can continue their upward trend? Do we think Signs is going to be one to watch next season? Definitely, yeah. I think he's he's really underlining his his talent, really. And I think I think I've said it on a on a previous podcast episode, but I'm I'm pretty sure Red Bull will probably be regretting the decision to let Signs go. Um, that was probably on the basis of Verstappen and Signs had the kind of aggressive battles in the Toro Rosso days, but I think Red Bull would probably like a driver of science's caliber on their books still, especially in their current situation. Not to discredit Albon, but I think it's a good it would have been a good option to have. But um yeah, if McLaren can continue their upward trend, 
Um, science, I, I think, seems to yeah, he still still seems to be the the team leader kind of role, the more experienced head, um, able to negotiate the starts. He's he's done some really good starts this season, and they seem to be helping to make his races for him. And uh, yeah, they've got this this proper properly experienced number one driver, whilst Lando Norris uh, continues to kind of um, increase his pace and uh, iron out a few you know uh, errors so to speak not errors but you know just uh execute the same results that science has done that'll come with time for norris but um yeah if mclaren can continue their upward trend then i don't see why science can't be the uh, the man in the team to be the first one to get their kind of comeback podium should we say have you guys got anything else from the midfield you want to talk about there's the whole protest coming in from uh, racing point against the Renault cars, which seems to have tactically come about. Should we? Do you want me to? Do you want me to carry on with that? You take it, Luke. All yours, mate. From what the nomenclature from the post-race debris has told us, it's uh, it's just a case of Force India protesting against the both Renault cars. Um, they have a particular issue with. Um, an aspect of their braking system or the, the brake bias system, I think. Um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the, the, the they had a, a, a mammoth description for it, but I can't quite remember what that was off the top of my head. It was, it was something to do with an aspect in the braking system that they're protesting against. And it just so happens to come at a race where Renault outscored racing points. So oh. I think they might've been sitting on that for a little bit waiting for the time when it would hurt Renault the most. And boom, there you go. Renault have gone from having, what would it have been, seven, nine points at the race to possibly zero. So, Well, some of this is down to um, <clears throat> how long Racing Point have been sitting on it. I, I've been reading some other journalists saying that they've been sitting on it since the summer break. Hmm. Um which you know if if Rhino have been I'm just reading the document here of the the steward's decision about the admissibility of the protest uh, basically it's an alleged preset lap distance dependent brake bias adjustment system on both cars so if if Rhino have been running that for you know the last at least five or six races and you know if they've been sitting on it since the summer break that means they were running it before the summer break as well so if Renault have been running something that's completely in breach of the technical regulations, because it, the wording of it to me is a little bit strange. Um, Luke, you, you come from a technical background. Maybe you'll be able to figure out what they mean by mm-hmm. this. The preset lap distance dependent. Now the dash is between distance and dependent. So in terms of lap distance, do they mean how far you are around the lap and are thus adjusting for each corner or does that mean that they're adjusting the brake bias as the race goes on? I must have had several goes at trying to absorb that sentence that they are alleged <laughs> to have done. And I can only really guess that they've got some... Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure. Maybe it's some kind of some kind of setting that is um, automatically being adjusted outside of the driver's control. Um, you know, the... I'm, I'm assuming that they're not allowed to have any kind of um, automated 
uh, break bias nope, adjustment. So yeah, it, it, to me, my guess would be that they've found some way of automating that or balancing that. I don't know, maybe at, at various points of the circuit, it, it is just a, a, a loose hypothesis. So I, I, I wouldn't really know what what to think with that. To yeah, I'm just wondering whether they whether they mean that the brake bias is adjusting as they drive around the lap, as in the the distance around the lap, or whether that's as the car is getting lighter as the race goes on, that the brake bias is being adjusted maybe forwards or rearwards to compensate for the change of weight. But it it doesn't really matter which one it is anyway, because either way, uh, uh, an automatic brake bias adjustment system like that would be completely illegal. And it's it's a big. This is bigger than the likes of the mass damper system run by Renault back in two thousand and six. This is this is critical stuff. This was something that you know would have affected the Renault's speed, at you know for possibly half a season or maybe more. And you know that their steering wheels have been impounded by the FIA. The electronic control units, both cars have been impounded, and every single little bit of those parts is going to be analysed. The hardware, the software, all the data that's been transmitted, both you know in both directions. And if anything is found, uh, and you know if the stewards have admitted it that or allowed the um, protest from Racing Point, it obviously means that there is some eligibility to what they're saying so you know i i don't see this ending well for Renault, and i think the penalties for this could be pr- pretty pretty harsh the thing is for me is, is is the timing of it because if if it's to be believed that racing point have been sat on this since the summer then you know one might say why didn't they just come forward with it straight away then Renault have to you know uh you know maybe come back come back with it in the first race after the summer and then Renault, um, you know, Renault are immediately set back. But then you could maybe argue that they had then have half a season to try and find a way around it and then, and, and then kind of fix the problem properly. You know, if putting it at, the, at this stage of the season might mean that, that Renault don't have enough time to find a solution, but, so they just go back to an older, you know, not quite as good system. That means that, that they just run in a sort of compromised state until the end of the season, which might which might be racing points thinking. But because I think it would be quite hard to prove that they had done this in the previous races, unless the same the exact same parts had been homologated for the for the previous races, and if you know, and if it's the exact kind of the very same part numbers for all those races, then you can prove it. But if they've got, you know, different parts coming in and out of the car, they can't, I'm not sure they can really prove that, that they were the exact same illegal spec, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah, I think, I think the timing might be a little bit coincidental as well in terms of like everyone saying, Oh, Renault outscored racing point. That's why they're doing it now. But in Monza, Renault fucking took a big, Oh God, <laughs> hang on. Uh, Renault took a big chunk of points in Italy. So it could have been done maybe at Monza, but it wasn't. So maybe to, to put it flippantly, maybe racing point, you know, took the Saturday off and went away and typed up this report. Maybe it's as simple well, as that. Maybe they were just um, waiting until they had it. Bored in the hotel on maybe Saturday, they, yeah. Maybe they were, <laughs> they were just waiting for evidence, or they had concrete evidence to to 
to present a case, or maybe they were just waiting to present the case properly, or you don't know. We don't know, really. No, and I've asked Racing Point um, for a statement on that, and I got a very curt, just basically, wait and see. So I'm, I'm very curious to yeah. know what proof they have, because you'd imagine this kind of stuff is under lock and key at Renault. So how, you know, what, what data can, can Racing Point look at in order to determine that this is illegal? Um, see, what staff have switched teams recently? Well, I'm thinking maybe if, if the if the brake bias is changing mid corner, maybe somebody cleverer than us can analyze the way the car's sort of settling. Because that's what I think's happening. I think no maybe one. the the early on in the, uh, the the braking phase, it's all forward, and then maybe it's moving backward when the car's going around the corner or hitting the apex. But Frank, no one is cleverer than me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, 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 yeah. I've ruined that point yeah. for you, haven't I? <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no I, I, I understand your point completely. Um, we, ju- we just don't know. I think we're just going to have to wait and see what the findings are. Whether the FIA decides that there's a lot more grounds to this that need further investigation, I think this is just a case of wait and see. But um, I think it's going to be very funny to see whether you know Racing Point and Renault's social media teams engage with each other <laughs> going forward. Because they've been, uh, you know, kings of the banter on Twitter over the last couple of months. I, I don't think that'll be happening for quite some time. Okay. I, I really want to read that report that Race India have done. Uh, Race India. <laughs> 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 uh, I'd really like to read that report. Speaking of anything else on a podcast now, that's that's hilarious. We just said that. Oh, wow. Can I... Can, okay. can I can I try that again? <laughs> yeah, go, go on then. Yeah, go on. I'd, I'd really like to know... <laughs> Crap. Um, I'd really like to have a read at that report that Racing Point have put together because I think it'd be quite interesting to know what exactly they found. So um, can we go over some news? Um, we have a Miami Grand Prix. Well, well maybe. maybe. P- potential. Likely, yeah. but... It's, yeah, they they seem very confident that it's happening, um, but you know there there's still a couple more hurdles to to come. Um, essentially, the agreement, the commercial agreement, is in place between the promoters and the venue and and Formula One. Formula One wants it to happen, and the CEO of the Miami Dolphins basically has said that this is happening, but they need public support and they need um, the the, the co- county commissioners to sign off on it. And, um, you know, it just needs a little bit more public approval from people in the area. But, you know, I'd say it'll happen. Money talks in this business, and I'm sure that it, but, it will but, happen. Yeah. We're, we're hitting a dangerously high number of races in a season now. Do we think this is the end of Austin? Or No, good grief. I don't. I think they can exist side by side. Yeah. Do you think? Not as not necessarily as back to back races, yeah. but you know, you know, two American races on the calendar, I think, is absolutely fine. Well, they keep talking about it happening in May, and I just don't see how that's going to happen. Like Dutch Grand Prix has been given a May slot, Spanish Grand Prix, which you know is on a one year extension, so might not be around that much longer, and Monaco, which always happens in the last weekend in May. So I don't know where they plan on putting this race. On, like we don't want to go down the route of having a race every weekend. It's 
there's too many races already, in my opinion. And I think more and more races, especially in car parks, mm-hmm. this, this reminds me of like the Caesars mm-hmm. Palace, um, Las Vegas Grand Prix. And I don't see the fuss. I don't get the fuss. But, you know, I'm not Liberty Media. Yeah, I think it's... I, it, it, I, I agree with the whole don't want it at a car park scenario because you've got a, a venue that's that's possibly going to... You know, it's not going to have any prestige or heritage. And it's it's very hard to to make anything special from just a, a flat piece of tarmac, really, isn't it? So I, I'm, I'm reluctantly in support of it because it's it's a new a new venue. It's, it's, it's somewhere that's, that's going to be less intrusive and is probably going to result in less people being angry and, you know, make Formula One bigger in America. But it's, it seems like a, a bit of a, an attempt at trying to please everybody, but not everybody might like it. It was interesting what you said there, Luke, about lack of heritage and not making things interesting in sort of like open city areas. But I think to an extent, Formula E does. I've I, There are some memorable races in my mind and memorable tracks in my mind from Formula E, but the Formula One isn't, is a circuit for me. It's a circuit based um, series we do mm-hmm. have street circuits, but they're they're fantastic. I love Azerbaijan. Monaco is just historical. Singapore is just it's got the glitz and the glamour because it's a nighttime race. But I don't understand what will set Miami apart from all those those other races. So surely a Formula E race in Miami would have been a little bit better. But of course, Formula E at the moment doesn't have the the kudos and the reach, the reach that yes. F one has. So I don't yeah. understand what, what this is going to achieve, even considering they've got one in Texas. Yeah, I think if you're making a, a new street circuit, you you really have to give it something else. Like you know, we we had we've got we had Formula One coming to Azerbaijan, and what makes that stand out is because it's a street circuit that you can fairly easily overtake on, and it's quite unique in that aspect. Um, Singapore's obviously the night race. Monaco, you got all the history, so so th- the pressure will be on to make it to give it some kind of angle that's a bit different. And the only thing that's it's got going for it at the moment is there's a stadium next door. Maybe but, the uh, Miami Dolphins will be doing all of the pit stops. That would be entertaining for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> it would be tedious. I, I I just don't see why there's so much panic to get a race into like an American hub like New York or Miami or anything like that. I don't get why. Like why we lost Hockenheim and we're going to Miami. I it that's that's depressing to me. It's just no. Give me back the German oh, Grand Turkey. Prix, please. Oh. I don't care about. I don't care about Miami. I'd rather Turkey. have Germany. Oh, um, Turkey, yes. Malaysia, or Malaysia, Turkey, yeah. definitely, yeah. Or Malaysia, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are all great tracks in you know unique countries, and instead we're getting a bland second-rate knockoff race in the I US. It's not going to last, I don't think. Maybe it's a. No, it'll be like it'll be like the Indian Grand Prix, and it'll be a bland, forgettable race that's forgotten about after yeah. two or three years. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, do, do we have any more news? <laughs> um, 
There was, oh yeah, Alfa Romeo and Alfa Tauri. Oh yeah, two Alphas. Well, isn't that going to be confusing? The, alpha, uh, the, the blue Alfa coming through turn two. I, I can see why they're doing it, um, because, you know, there was no real marketing potential for the name Toro Rosso, and Red Bull are now trying to get the Alfa Tauri clothing range, you know, started and up and going, and... I was reading all the marketing blurbs on on Alpha Tori and everything, and it's it, it's all bull related, you know, Tori, Taurus, the bulls, and the constellation of stars, and and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I th- I think the name will probably take. It's just unfortunate for them that there's already an Alpha team yeah. on the grid. But you know, we've dealt with two lotuses before. I'm sure we can deal with two alphas, even if they're phonetic. When you were talking about the marketing information then and describing it as all bull related, I thought you were gonna go somewhere else with that then. But we kept it clean. <laughs> it is it is all bull related I though. Imagine it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and after fifteen years it'll be sad to see, you know, the Tor Rossa what yeah. is it, fourteen years? Um, of seeing the Toro Rosso name go because, you know, they've been there quite a while now at this stage. But, um, you know, the team are actually going nowhere. They've already confirmed that the name change has passed through the F1 commission. And um, as as they worded it to me, they said, it's been, the name has been approved by everyone that it matters. Right, okay. With. So, um, yeah, it looks like that name. I don't know when it's going to be introduced, but I would presume basically the minute the race is over in Abu Dhabi, we'll be referring to Toro Rosso as Alpha Tori. What about um, potential new team uh, led by, is it Campos? There's two new potential teams. There's one called Pantera and there's one called um, uh, Campos. Campos moving up with Monaco increased management as okay. the financial backers. And um, the FIA basically say, no, not sorry, not sorry, the FIA, FOM have said that no um, serious discussions have been held. But it's the FIA who confirmed this stuff. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I'd what prefer to there. see newer cars on the track. Luke, I think you're in the same boat as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think whilst you've still got really talented junior drivers that are, that are not quite making it into F1 and there's not enough seats, then I think there's always scope for for fans wanting more teams on the grid. So, yeah, the more the merrier. Okay, so that rounds up this episode. Uh, Thank you for listening. Um, You can read all the latest F1 news at formulaspy.com. If you want to get in touch, you can on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash formulaspy. Twitter, uh, tweet us at formulaspy. And on Instagram, I I still don't know how this works, but just formulaspy. Um... So uh, we'll be back again. So thank you for listening. Uh, That's goodbye from me and goodbye from Luke and Thomas. The Formula Spy Podcast. Music by Building Giants. Check them out on Spotify.